Hello and welcome to the Union News Podcast. Yes, hello, welcome to the Union Juice Podcast, the UK's only all things union programme, produced for your digital download, delight and overall appreciation. In this episode, Francis O'Grady says the unions are back. Actually, we never went away. We unpick why Covid and a looming gigantic jobs crisis makes it different this time. And Becky Winson of the New Economics Foundation talks organising, community action and why the people of Druid's Heath in Birmingham should be an inspiration to us all. There's really only one show in town at the moment, isn't there? And that's the TUC's call for a better recovery. And it's the call within that document for a National Recovery Council that's grabbed a lot of media attention. But let's take a step back and, and understand why the TUC document says what it says and why it struck such a chord. Look, we know, don't we, the crisis is real. The crisis in employment is real. Furlough coverage, at least 27% of the working age population, now extended in some form or other to the end of October. That just shows how at risk that employment is. The extent of the economic shock, GDP, great consternation that it fell by 2% in the first quarter of this year. I tell you, it's going to go down by 13, 14, 15% in the second quarter. And that's going to really set people into a spin, even though it's not the best measure or or indicator about what you need to do to get out of the hole you're, you're in. But undeniably, certain sectors have almost entirely shut down. There's a consensus that the recovery will be slower than the, the fall, as it were. But if you've got social distancing and self-isolation still being needed, then some sectors clearly are going to be constrained. Who's going to get on an aeroplane sitting six abreast with about, you know, 24 inches width room per passenger? Who's going to go to a, a, a pub in the way, the way we used to? Some sectors will be really constrained. Employment will be at risk. Income will be, be depressed. And old thinking just will not work. If you look at the impact and the nature of the pandemic, and you think, well, OK, that's caused a big hike in public spending. I tell you what, we'll have an austerity programme to, to pull it back into line. It's just not going to work. It's, it's, it's not going to be credible or tolerated either by, by the population as a whole. So the response needs to work across a range of dimensions. Take these just uh, as a starter, as it were. We need to minimise unemployment. Because actually unemployment could peak, some people have said to me, oh, it could peak at seven and a half million. So that's seven and a half million people unemployed in the UK. Unthinkable. But, but, you know, you can see where the maths lead you on that. We need to maintain purchasing power because money, if money isn't circulating in the economy, businesses will fail. Unemployment will rise. That's the whole point of the furlough scheme, isn't it? Now, I think it's a short step from furlough to universal basic income. I think it's a step the government should take. I I don't think there is government agreement with me on this one at the moment. But you can see why, as part of the TUC plan, they're talking about an enhanced rate of national minimum wage, which actually isn't so far away from kind of where we are at the moment. Anyway, the economy needs to pivot away from troubled sectors because plowing resources into sectors that, for whatever reason, can't operate effectively, it's, it's kind of like trying to fill a bucket of water when there's a hole in the bucket now you could try and fix the hole of course but actually where are the new jobs where are they going to be and how do we 
migrate from where we were to where we need, we need to be. Part of that is to say employment standards need to be durable because precarious working, younger workers, they've been seen to be particularly, particularly vulnerable uh, in this pandemic crisis. The gig economy model is just incompatible with the model for recovery because it's so uncertain, it's so short term. We need to scale up or innovate new economic activity because once we have identified or think we've identified where new jobs will come from, we've got to move quickly. We've got to move quickly to repurpose and investigate and follow up leads that look promising. And we've got to recognise that sometimes we'll fail. If you're if you've got an innovation culture, you don't always succeed. But that's fine because the important thing is to keep driving forward. And above all, we need to maintain social cohesion because you know, we know it, don't we? COVID has exacerbated social tensions. Those who have outside space and those who don't. Those who are more exposed to risk and those who are not. Those needing to home educate and those who do not. But on the other hand, there have been many examples of really great social cohesion and mutual aid. It puts me in mind of a Perry Como song, Accentuate the Positive. Accentuate the Positive. And what is the, what is the positive solution to this sort of, this set of challenge and problem? It's not rocket science. Co-determination, social partnership, collectivism. We're all in a jam, so let's work together to sort things out. But no preconceptions. Let's think big. Think outside the box. And the National Recovery Council is just one of around 10 recommendations in the TUC report. Like all the others, it offers a comprehensive and practical way forward. The new jobs guarantee that we covered in our last podcast, sustainability, a social safety net, protection and promotion of equality, and how the proposals can and will be self-financing. Most importantly here, I think, you do feel that the TUC is absolutely in tune with the mood of the country. There is this fusion, if you like, of what the TUC is saying at a macro level and what communities and union members are saying at a local level. That's why the message has such resonance. That's why Francis was absolutely right to say what she did. Well, listeners, it's my pleasure to welcome to the Union News podcast uh, an old friend of mine, uh, Becky Winston. Becky, how are you doing? I'm all right. How are you, Simon? I'm very well. I'm I'm, I'm very well. Becky and I first uh, worked together six, seven years ago, perhaps <laughs> around then on, on housing campaigns. So, uh, but but Becky is now a senior organizer for the New Economics Foundation. And if, in case you haven't heard of NEF, as they're known. The strapline from their website says that NEF works with people igniting change from below and combines this with rigorous research to fight for change at the top. Sounds like unions would fit right into that kind of scheme of things, yes. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so a lot of my work at NEF is working um, with all types of trade unions and uh, probably like all levels within them. So mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. grassroots rank, rank and file activists to um, offices regionally and nationally. And a lot of my colleagues work with you know, research and policy officers at trade unions to sort of make sure that what we're doing strengthens the trade union movement rather than sort of like replicating anything it's trying to do um, or taking away from it. Right, I see. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I've always ha held the view that actually trade unions are actually the quintessential community organizations because membership members members are members not just where they work but where they they live as well and actually one of the strongest organizing tools is to make that connection and that was the basis for say trade union involvement in housing would that be your experience as well 
Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree with the principle of that. I think there are there are examples I can think of, um, not just in the UK, but but in other places as well, where trade unions have been able to combine the links that they've got uh, or their members have got rather within within their communities, and and like use that through a union to affect like really powerful change or to strengthen the union's power itself. I think. You know, I'm I'm a sort of like in terms of trade union members and trade unionists. I'm fairly young. I'm in, I'm in my early thirties, and I think that the trade union movement that I've experienced through being an activist and a member myself before I went on to work at NEF and and since um, through my work at NEF, that trade union movement in the UK hasn't quite got that that sort of sense of itself or it's certainly not it, if it has it's not enacted upon you know I, I i suspect the trade union movement 30 years ago was a lot different from that because of the connections it had within mining communities for example but yeah i think i agree with you in theory i definitely think that the trade union movement got the opportunity to be that and can act on it i'm not sure whether it currently is able to do that at the moment uh, I mean, have have you been involved through NEF in in work to try and make that connection to try and to to, to try and demonstrate that sort of almost um, I was going to say cross fertilization of ideas, but it's not. It's a it's a sort of coming together of the the sense of self that unions have uh, to embrace the the fact that that sense of self must include or should include community based activism, and therefore the the union movement branches out and and links up with all sorts of other all sorts of other groups. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that this this doesn't happen at all in the union movement. I think what we've been what I've been trying to do at NEF and what me and some of my colleagues have been trying to do at NEF is help strengthen the parts of the union movement that are already trying to do that or are already doing it. And also to bring groups who might need that support or would benefit from that support from trade unions in their communities together. So, for example, there's two there's two things that we've been doing over the past few years. One is a sort of ongoing program that is trying to support union organising efforts uh, with precarious workers, and that's been done through a program of like multi-union training sessions and skill shares. Mm-hmm. So we have mm-hmm. people from loads of different unions, big and small, new and old coming together to to teach each other about what they're doing and what they're finding effective and and some of that has involved like them you know get putting each other in touch with community groups on the ground that's mostly based in london that work in birmingham some of the work that i do is working with a group called the druid teeth and monley hall forum now they are a group of working class residents in in uh, the druid teeth estate and around the druid teeth estate the druid teeth estate is one of the most deprived places in birmingham and, and one of the most deprived places in the uk it's got over a dozen tower blocks and loads of connecting maisonettes uh, the majority of the tower blocks are going to be demolished by birmingham city council hundreds of social homes are going to be lost through that there's no place no plans to replace them anywhere else and the group of residents that came together not to oppose the regen because they want regeneration but to fight for something which means that they're not going to lose their homes and that they can have a say in what's going on those group of residents were you know had mixed experiences of organizing some of them were really experienced some of them had been through the trade unions 
and, and various political parties. But the majority of residents on that estate have not got experience of running a campaign or, or doing regeneration. And so one of the things that I encouraged them to do, and, and they did, um, was make links to some of the local trade unionists mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, in order to sort of swap and share tactics about how the trade unions had found um, tackling the council because that's their employer and it's these residents' landlords. The target is the same and the tactics that each group might use to take them on you know, the residents can't enact a workplace strike in the same way that the unions can, but they can certainly go for the targets that they know um, are most uh, receptive to change and like get around certain ways, certain things that the trade unions have been able to do in the past too. And is, is that project ongoing or uh, has has that campaigning approach delivered some results in the, the example in Birmingham you, you've been talking about? Yeah, I mean, that the group of residents are just they're amazing like they're some of my my most favorite uh, people that i've ever worked with as an organizer and it, it's it's mostly run by uh, working class women from that estate a woman called tamika uh, a woman called esther there's others involved um kath and and, and loads there's too many to name and i'm sorry guys because i know they'll be listening to this but i can't name <laughs> you all um but basically they had like really really um They've made really good progress for an anti-regen campaign run by people who have got very little experience of doing an anti-regen campaign on such a big scale. What they've managed to do is just before Christmas, they secured a public apology from the leader of Birmingham City Council. You know, he basically came out and said on, on BBC News regionally, we've got this wrong. I'm really sorry. This needs to involve the residents going forward. We need to go back to the drawing board on some of these plans and make sure that they include um, what people want and what people need. Wow, um, that's great. It is great. It's still ongoing, which is why I'm being a bit uh, cautious about sort yeah. of naming some of the tactics in this. But it's it, it. They have made really good progress and some of the knowledge, some of the reason that they've been able to do so is because they forged links with the, the union movement in their city. Sometimes sometimes unions can be a bit, union organisations can can be very focused on what's immediately in front of, of, of them at a, local, at a local level or even at a national level and, and miss overtures from other people reaching out or wanting to share knowledge and share experience and, 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 and learn. I'm just wondering if, if the community groups and the union groups came together quite quite readily and you know yeah. and peaceably as it were yeah i mean i think that the key for it from what i've seen is that the union officers um and, and members who've who've been sort of giving advice have always only done that they've just given advice been very open with what they know and just said you know like this is your campaign it is really important that you are the ones that lead it and it's your power that fuels it not ours so you know you can take or leave what what we're giving you we're not here as some sort of big all-powerful institution to come and and do this for you we're not here to sort of turn this into something that we're gonna sort of plaster all over our website and turn into our own campaign i guess really what i've seen is that acting on what are essentially trade union principles of a campaign being member-led and not institution-led, it's really important. And I'd say that to any trade unionist 
or trade union officer who wants to start getting more involved in these community campaigns is that this is not a way of like picking up members or a way of doing something that is only in the union's interest. This is a way of like building working class power and the union being part of that rather than the only vehicle through which it can, which it, which that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I think that's a very, a very strong and clear and clear message. It's a question of how the union sees its interests, I suppose. Does it see its interest in, in very narrow terms, you could say, about increasing members? And that's clearly important because member subs pay the, you know, yeah. keep the union going. But, but there's a wider issue as well about, about the environment in which one is operating. And if that is conducive and supportive of collective voice and collective activity and collective membership, that's got to be a good thing as well. Um, I, I wonder, do you, have you been involved in, in campaigns, I'm guessing you have, where you've done the organising bit, and you've you've achieved a, a, a result, uh, and then then actually, do you find that there is a dividend in the sense that the skills that people have acquired and the self confidence they've acquired become self perpetuating? They, they they retain those skills and that self belief, and, and can go on to to do even even greater things in terms of building their communities and changing society for good. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think there are numerous examples of that happening on Druid's Heath, even, even within the short time that I've been working there. I mean, I think any good organising, the reason that good organising is so important is for me, that, that set of skills and that confidence is more vital even really than people's membership subs. Because if you've not got a set of activists and members in communities and in workplaces that are capable of, you know, resisting um, exploitation or resisting oppression, then, you know, you can have the biggest union coppers in the world, but you're not going to be able to affect much change. I think the example that I would give of someone who I've seen, you know, really sort of grow through this, um, there's a woman on the Druid Teeth Estate called Tamika Gill, and she, Tamika has always been amazing. I think that's what's important. It's really important that organisers don't think, I came along and gave Tamika, like I waved Tamika, a magic wand over Tamika and suddenly she was transformed. Like how I found when, when I myself like got organised and what I've seen in Tamika is that really the difference that organising skills and competence make mm-hmm. is that it allows you really to be yourself and it allows you to do what you want to do and you feel needs doing in your workplace and your community. So Tamika has gone from someone who was sort of on the um, periphery of the initial group and, and didn't know whether or not she would like to get involved in it and, and was sort of maybe even a bit, because of some of the experiences she's had with various bits of the council, a bit sort of, you know, I'm very angry about all this, but I don't know if it can change. To someone who is chair of that group now, is all over BBC News, um, doing an amazing job of speaking out for her community and is leading public meetings and holding the leader of the council directly to account. And I cannot see that fight in her going away anytime yeah. soon after yeah. all this is over. No, that's a, that's a, that is a lovely story. And I think all of us who are in the, the wider Labour movement can think of people we you know we've been fortunate enough to engage with and to and to meet a lot along the way and you almost you you see people develop almost like a you know like a plant growing literally people people blossom and that that's great and i i yes i you know it's it's great to hear 
once our level, once our engagement has has gone and passed and, fin and finished, people retain skills and, and particularly self confidence to be able yeah. to to be able to continue to drive forward. Can we talk a bit about about the work that you and do with what um, many people call new unions? I'm thinking about the IWGB and Voices of the World and people pe people like that. I mean, the, the, these unions, the membership of these unions are people who are really on the margin, aren't they? They're really, they, are, they are the most precarious of precarious workers, outsourced, gig economy, you, you name it. They, that, that's, a, that's a huge challenge. What, what, how, how, did, how did that engagement kind of start and, and, and kind of what does, it, what does it look like? So, I mean, we work with, we've worked with both. We, we tend to, we support IWGB and we support UVW you know as we do the others it, the engagement came a, about really i think because we wanted to work with trade unionists at, at, when we first started doing this work it was concentrated in london and we really wanted to work with trade unionists and, and worker activists who were basically like the best that london had to offer because well because why wouldn't you want to work with those people why wouldn't why wouldn't you want to support them um, and that included people from across the board. It, it included some people who weren't in unions. So it included some organisers from the Living Wage campaign as mm -hmm, well. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we really, we just invited them. We just got in contact with um, some of the uh, officers and members at both unions and said, would you like to come to an initial training session? We had one run by Jane McAlevey, who's a, who's a really brilliant uh, American organiser. Um, it was a full day, you know, free union organising training session. We invited all unions to it. And then after that, there were a session of like different training programmes and sessions that NEF, some, some which NEF put on and some which were Skillshares. Yeah. And so members of IWGB and UVW came along to those, as did, you know, members from unite equity pcs uh, rmt and so on yeah you know, yeah. yeah rmt mm. and 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 the, and the tuc affiliated unions and um yeah i mean they are without a doubt in my mind two of the most effective unions um in the uk oh that's i mean that, that's interesting i mean let, let me let's stick on this for a bit if we if we may because because of course the iwgb and, uh, and voices are, are not tuc affiliated and there is sometimes visible, not called, wouldn't say tension, but friction, because clearly they, you know, the, these unions have been able to recruit in hard to recruit areas, whereas TUC affiliates, it seemed to find it a bit more difficult to, to, to do so. What, what makes them the best, as you've described them? I think what makes them the best is, is, is the same characteristic that makes uh, you know some unite branches the best you know some gmb branches the best some rmt branches the best which is that they have a willingness to take action that their members want to take so if they feel that the right thing to do is to go on strike they will go on strike if they feel that the right thing to do is to be very loud and and bullshit with their demonstrations and uh, organize them they, they, they've got an amazing ability to organize those actions very quickly they can pull in a lot of support from inside and outside the union and they do not you know it's almost weird to say like they don't have caution about doing it like they love doing it <laughs> the energy on an IWGB picket line is insane it is like being at a party or a rave 
And, you know, I, one of the first things I did when I joined GMB is I went and stood on an FBU picket line. I've been on lots of picket lines in my time and none of them are like, are like IWGBs or UVWs. And so the energy and willingness and like celebration of the power that their members have in withdrawing their labor is really key to what makes them effective. Because I mean, fundamentally, I always think of this as like a, a, math, a mathematical equation, right? Mm-hmm. Worker yeah. power and the boss power have got to be level. And if what some of the most precarious workers in this country, the only power they have really, especially where there's no recognition agreement is to withdraw their labor. Yeah. So there needs to be not just a willingness to use it, but an absolute like celebration of being able to use it because that is the moment that those members enact power sometimes for the first time i can i can imagine that that is a very appealing and attractive characteristic because people who are not in membership or not involved will look at that and think i want to be part of that and i want to be part of that because it looks fun it looks positive it looks empowering and then then you get into a virtuous a virtuous cycle of of uh, recruitment engagement action recruitment and, and and so on there's certainly lots and lots that needs to be fought for is is the kind of sort of justice argument the the only thing that these unions can coalesce around and does that mean that once battles are lost or have been fought and won there's then a problem because the whole model is built on on sort of justice rather than rather than servicing i mean i think that's an interesting question and and I don't know enough, anywhere near enough about the union's internal structure to to give an honest answer to it, really. I mean, what I would say is that what I have seen in the IWGB is the same commitment that like leadership development we were talking about earlier Mm, as I have in, in any other good part of the trade union movement. And a lot of the position holders and, you know, branch officer holders that I've come in contact with are from the shop floor and are very recently from the shop floor. So, so there's clearly, you know, uh, a sustainable model in there because it's, it's getting people up in that structure and keeping them in. Yeah. But, but further to that, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe they do have a problem with it, but I've not, I've not certainly caught sight of it. No, okay. It's just, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm very geeky on like trade union organizational development and stuff like that. So I feel like <laughs> when I, when I find someone who's such a, a, a keen practitioner as you, Becky, I can't, you know, I, I get a shovel and start digging. <laughs> um, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, so, so, so what, what kind of, what's next for you, at, you at NEF? What are, what, what projects have you, are you just starting out on or have you got coming up? The answer that I'm giving to that may change by the time this podcast goes out. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the COVID crisis is taking up loads and loads of our time at the moment, both in terms of, of, of working out what our response to it is, putting that out there, and also trying to rejig things around so that we can actually do that. And a lot of the projects that, you know, that are going to run a year-long training programme for uh, precarious workers on organising skills, some trade unionists, some not, that's now going to have to be put on hold mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. it can't really be done online. There were, uh, you know, the Druid Teeth campaign is now much harder for me to support. And, and so is the work that I was doing in Essex with another social housing group. But in terms of what we will probably be doing, I mean, NEF is putting out, it's, it's trying to put out feelers 
um, to all members of all sorts of different movements and, and campaign groups about what they think an economy and society post-COVID mm-hmm, needs mm-hmm. to look like yep. and should look like. And what we're interested in at the moment is like helping to put together the policies and research that the arguments for that society are going to need, but also in building the power of people who are affected by this to fight for it. Because without that power, without that wide uh, base of support for what goes on, it, it, I mean, it won't go on. It won't happen. No, you're, you're, yeah, you're right. There is the, the future is very much up for grabs, I think, and that's a that's a time of great opportunity, but also great great risk. If listeners want to participate and get involved in in that process, uh, how can they do so? So they can uh, sign up to our email uh, like email list through uh, the NEP website. If anyone has like a concrete proposition and they want to work with us or they want to get involved, they can they can give me a, uh, an email. Um, so I'm just Rebecca.Winson at neweconomics.org and I'm always happy to talk to people about uh, interesting ideas they've got or help they need, although I don't have all the time in the world <laughs> to help everyone. But yeah, get in touch with us, basically. We're always up for working with people from big organisations and small, so um, all are welcome. There you go, listeners. You've, you've had the invitation uh, from Becky. The future, as they say, is unwritten. Here's your chance to, to help, help write it. Yeah. Becky, it's been lovely to see you. It's been a, it's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you so much for uh, for giving up your time and uh, and coming on the Union Jews podcast. And uh, no problem. Stay stay well, and uh, we must meet up in person on the other side, as they say. Yeah, you too, Simon. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been really great. You're welcome. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it made you think, certainly made me think. Lots of questions come to mind. Lots and lots of questions. IWGB, UVW, what's the secret? How do you have such a flat structure that enables mobilisation to take place so quickly? Love to have you on, love to have a chat with you about what you do and how, how you do it. Sword of justice trade unionism, very powerful, very, very powerful, really empowering. You can see how people recognise that, that by taking part, they, they grow as a person. They exert more influence, more control over, over their own, own existence. But what happens when the fight is over or what happens when the campaign is lost or won can you have a balance between getting on and getting even really key question a bit of a holy grail issue i suppose for for the for the trade union movement member led campaigns against institution led campaigns absolutely right in terms of member led campaigns having the energy and the gravity and the depth to sustain them through what can be sometimes be quite a long haul But surely it's when you have a marriage of member-led and institution-led campaigns, when you have a convergence of the interests, that you really have the the best chance of victory, the the, the best rate of return. And that that really is what the National Recovery Council idea from the TUC, uh, which we discuss elsewhere on this podcast, that represents a synergy of what's being talked about by members and in the community and what's being talked about at a sort of institutional macro level coming together in a, a really powerful fusion. So if you want to know more about what Becky does and what about the New Economics Foundation does, then if you hop over to the Makes You Think website, you find in the blog post that accompanies this podcast all the links and all the signposting that you will need. But I'd love to hear from you. Email me at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. Tweet us at Jews Union. Let us know what you think about the issues raised, really significant issues raised in that discussion with, with Becky. Well, that's just about it for this episode. Thank you so much for choosing to spend time with us. Hope you've enjoyed the last half hour or so. Hope it's made you think a little bit. If you like what you hear, 
then share the podcast. Rate us on the podcasting platform of your choice. Email us in if you got an idea for something that should be on a future episode. Unionjews at makesyouthink.com. Email in as well if you've heard something that you think, oof, didn't enjoy that. We need to know. Feedback's all important. We want you to be part of the discussion. You can tweet us at Jews Union, and if you head on over to the Makes You Think website, you'll find a companion blog in which you'll find links to all the subjects and all the campaigns that we've mentioned in this episode. Before going, I just want to shout out to the key workers and frontline staff. Appreciated, as you can hear, not just by me, but by, by all of my street, and I'm sure every street in the country is, as well. It's absolutely fantastic, the work that they're doing to keep us safe, to keep the country going. And... A particular shout out uh, this week to the Fire Brigades Union, particularly the East Sussex Brigade, who, in the midst of all this, are fending off crazy job cuts that will see fire engines taken off the road, uh, members' jobs at risk. They've got a petition going. If you can support them, I know they'd appreciate it at www.fbu.org.uk. We'll be back in a week or so's time with the next edition of the Union Jews podcast. Till then, stay safe, stay well, maintain social distancing. Take good care, and I'll see you soon. The Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. It is a Makes You Think production.